We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. So we are back, and believe it or not, we're part three. I could probably do four, but I am going to I'm going to condense this so we can get the rest of the story of Susan Angeline Collins. She did live to be 88. So there is much more to tell, and it's fascinating, but I'm going to try to do this quickly. What do you think, co-host Robin <laughs> Jones-Gunn? Well, Cheryl Broderson, co-host, I am glad that you're giving us the details because I kept thinking about this woman. Here's Susan not even getting onto the mission field until she's in her late 30s, almost Right, 36, 40. yeah. And um, that she has this long journey, this long time that she's there. But even just the distances, when she has come back on furlough to California from right. Angola, from right. Africa, right. takes her a month to get back in the late 1800s. Right. This is a woman who has a dedicated heart, a passion, and as one of the women said about her, she had a hallelujah heart. I, and I just love that. that. I know. <laughs> so good. It was a lady named Abby Mills, but I also love the fact, I mean, California, you know, that, yeah. she could have had such an easy life in retirement because she was right. 50 and they wanted her to retire, staying in California and, you know, just telling the story of when I served 13 years mm-hmm. in Keswa, but no. She wanted to go back to the deprivation, to the hard work, but mostly to her children. Her heart was there. Her children. And then Mm -hmm. she even prayed, Lord, make me willing to stay here in the States if this is where you want me. But, you know, if you want me back in Africa, then that's where I How many people pray like that? I don't know anybody. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I want to be willing to stay here in Shangri-La, but if you want— If I have to stay in California, I'll accept it, Lord, but I really want to be back in the village in Africa. So she's back in Keswa, and of course we talked about when she got back that um, the lady who had been a replacement— was sick, and so she had to spend months not only teaching and overseeing the school and writing reports, but also um, nursing um, her co-worker back to health. Susan became a nurse to many of the missionaries who took sick. Uh, There were many friends who were forced to leave the mission field. Some of her dearest friends even died. Her co-worker, Josephine, was one of those who died Mm. in July 1902. Josephine was only 31 years old. Susan now had a heavier workload. She wrote to the WFMS telling of her desperate need of a co-worker. Um, in 1903-1904 were hard years for Susan and Keswa. Not only was she serving alone, but she also had to oversee a building project for the school because the school had outgrown the number of students under her care. She's 53 years of age when she writes, My health has not been as good as other years, and I had to be in bed part of the time in the early summer months. She wrote to a niece, it's a great blessing to live in a country like you are in, where there are plenty of schools and good teachers. There are no schools in this country, only those made by missionaries. The schools are very far apart, and there are hundreds of children in this land that will grow up without knowing how to read. Their father, fathers and mothers don't know how to read and usually um, don't care about it. Susan made it a practice to reward the children um, with a makuta, and a makuta was a coin worth three cents, and she would give them um, for every Bible chapter they memorized. 
Susan also rewarded the children who arrived for prayer each day if they arrived for a whole month in her, you know, every day of yep. the month. Yep. In 1904, Susan had 23 girls in her charge. She was caring for these girls all by herself. And uh, doing all these other things. That's right. Um, they said that she cared for each girl as if she was her own daughter. She did all she could to keep the girls from being sold at the markets as valuable property. As the head of the school, Susan um, tried to give the girls opportunity to remain under tutelage. She did everything to keep them there. Susan shared the story of one girl. This young girl was playing with another child when the other child broke um, her arm. According to custom, the young girl was to have her arm broken because of what had happened to her friend. The young girl was rescued by her cousin and taken to the mission. Susan sheltered the young girl whose name meant Beelzebub John Goat. And Susan changed her name to Dorcas or Gazelle. The work the dear Lord has given me to do grows more and more precious and delightful to me every day. Um, she wrote concerning Dorcas. Dorcas would later become one of the teachers at that school. Mm. In June 1904, Susan became sick and had to rely on four of the teenagers to take care of her and run the mission. They did well. <laughs> she would write, a, uh, she commended them for how well they did. Well and, trained. Uh, yes. And again, mm -hmm. she's all alone. She doesn't mm -hmm. have anyone yeah. else. In a letter to her niece, Susan, uh, to her niece, Susan wrote, Oh, I have so much reason to thank God for his goodness to me. I have no co-worker yet, but that I can leave with him who has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And surely he does not. One year later, May of 1906, Martha Drummer joined Susan in Keswab. Martha was a nurse and had previously written to Susan saying that she and God had performed all kinds of fine miracles. <laughs> Martha Drummer was enabled uh, to come to Africa through the help of the Christian Christian women in California who volunteered to sponsor her while she served at Keswab. Once she landed in Angola, her trip to Keswab was delayed one month because of heavy lanes. Martha was the child of former slaves. She was from a little town in Georgia. Her opportunities for learning were hampered during her early life. However, um, she was able to attend Clark College in Atlanta. She lived and worked for a family during her college days to defray her expenses. While in college, she expressed an interest to go into the mission field, and she applied to the mission board. By the time Martha made it to Keswa, she was sick, and Susan spent many, uh, many days nursing Once the again. nurse mm -hmm. back to health. Once, now, how old was Martha about this time? Martha's young. She's only in her 20s. Okay. Once healthy, Martha became a great asset to Susan. Susan loved to tell the stories of her girls. One girl, Florinda Bessa, who lived to be 88 also and would uh, serve um, as a teacher, open her own school for girls later in life, um, was 17 when she became a member of the staff at Keswap. She had come to the mission as a child after her mother died and her Portuguese father couldn't take care of her. Florinda became a devout Christian and a great help to the mission work. Oh, sorry. She lived to be 108. Did I say 88? She lived mm -hmm. to be 108. And she started her really? own school and called it the Dorcas School. Wow. Another girl, this is so cute, renamed herself Sarah Lake because she knew her support came from the Lake Avenue Auxiliary in Pasadena. And one of the girls who wrote to her from Pasadena was named Sarah, she told the new Sarah, told Susan that she had the most beautiful name of all the girls at the school, Sarah Lake. 
The following description was made of Susan. Although she has been in Africa for about 22 years, she is as nimble and lively as a girl. She is busy superintending the building of a much-needed dormitory for her large school. Susan was 56 years old at this time. Many of the challenges facing Susan and Martha were the superstitions of the people in Keswa. There were many witches in the village. Many of the children and women were accused of sorcery and blamed for drought, illness, and hunger. Mm. One little girl told Florinda, Mama says I must not come anymore to the school because when I get sick, I cannot go to the witch doctor and I will die. Mm. The people of the mission do not go to the witch doctor, and that means they will die. Another child said, We have the spirit of divination in our family, and if I come to this school, I will lose the spirit of divination, and my people want me to divine and take care of the family gods when I grow up. In fact, the people of the village regularly sacrifice to the ancestor spirits. Um, there is something that happened during that time. Um, it was called the Sasswood Ordeal, and Susan absolutely hated this. Um, a man in the village believed his wife was a witch. So to to determine the truth, he gave her a drink made of poisonous sasswood bark in the morning. It was believed that only the guilty would die from the poison. Um, Those who threw up the mixture were pronounced innocent. The man's wife died. Susan was so upset. Um, Susan and the girls maintained a garden. However, they were always dealing with raids from monkeys. Oh, yes. The neighbor's goats and pigs, as well as porcupines. Really? Yes. They had to be vigilant about guarding their precious produce. A new house on the compound was completed in 1909, and a soldier helped her exchange the money from America to pay for it. Um, She didn't quite have enough money, and the soldier ended up paying all that was owed also because Mm. three of his daughters were at the school. She was able to house 35 girls and two boys as soon as it was completed. Susan wrote, we think of the possibilities of the girls who come to us and the advantage that it gives them over the women in the village. I feel compelled to take the children at whatever age we can get them. Some of them are nearly so grown that they stay but a few short years. But we know that however short the time is, it changes their lives and they in turn become adherents. Some are obliged to take in helpless babyhood in order to get them. Then a number of years must pass before they reach school age. So she would take in the babies yes. because she knew that was the only way she could get those girls in. To really the had a vision for the future. Like this is, and the fruit that remains is the result of her being not just for right now, not just get through what we have right in front of us, but let's grow for what's to come. Exactly. Susan went on a short break to Luanda. In 1909, but returned a month later with five very young girls, which raised the number of girls at the school to 40. So she goes she goes on what is supposed to be a break, and instead she finds yep. these girls. She recruits these young girls to come back with her. At age 59, Susan wrote, Our girls are a happy lot, and it is restful to look at them in their study, work, and play. So great a contrast to their untrained neighbors. The softening influence of the blessed gospel is very manifest. Many of the village people in Keswa, under the influence of Susan, became believers. A goodly number of our young people have recently taken their stand for Jesus and also a number of older men and women, which is an unusual thing. One man and his wife, who have been attending meetings a long time, have accepted the Lord. The man is the father of the three girls in our school. He's also the one that paid for the um, Mm. dormitory. 
Mm. Martha left for furlough in 1912 to the States and returned in 1913. In August of 1913, fever swept the school and many of the girls became ill. New help arrived in 1915 with the arrival of Cilicia, Cilicia Cross. She became the school principal. She also took over many of Susan's teaching duties so Susan could oversee the boarding school and be a house mother to the 70 girls now living at the school. Now there's 70. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These were hard, and growing. hard years. So yeah. from 1914 to 1918, it was hard years because of World War One. Oh, yes. So the packages weren't getting through. Yes. Sometimes there wasn't support because she's so far into the interior. And yet she and Martha and Silcia persevered. There was a mandatory retirement age for all uh, WFMS, Women's Foreign Mission Society missionaries. They had to retire at 65. However, because of the war and the toll that it had taken on Silcia, Cilicia and Martha, they both took furloughs. This left Susan with the lone charge of the school until they returned in 1920. Susan was now 69 years old. So when Susan's supposed to be the one mandatory right. retiring, the young girls are the ones that need a furlough. Mm-hmm. And she just keeps on going. I think she did that on purpose because she didn't mm-hmm. want to leave the school. Because she knew, she, I bet it would seem that she couldn't, she wouldn't be back. Well, she wanted she to. She told out exactly. She told people yeah. that she wanted to die in Africa at the school, oh. but the Women's uh, Foreign Mission Society wouldn't allow it. Okay, her return travel to the states required a passport, something that had never been required in all her previous journeys. Oh, interesting. Now, now after you know World yeah, after War One, yeah, where are you from? We yep. want to know. So while wow. she'd been serving in Africa and she sent that stipend to the Paines, um, Mr. Payne had died. But before he died, he had bought her a house. And Aww. he and his wife, Margaret, made all the payments go to the house and they maintained this house for her. And his wife, Margaret, continued to maintain the house for it, making sure that it had renters, seeing to all the repairs. So when she returned in 1921, it was occupied by renters. So she decided to go visit her friends in California for a year. She spent her time speaking at many churches. She had a thumb piano from Africa. What is a thumb piano, you ask? I'm so glad. <laughs> it was about the size of a, uh, of a plate, right? And it had a row of rattles along the bottom and sounded like a mouth harp with a tambourine, tambourine on the side. So imagine a mouth harp with a tambourine. That's kind of the combo that you get. I've never heard of such nope. a thing. The keys wow. were flat iron nails. Um, the links um, differed, but the longest ones were eight inches. And she would sing Jesus Loves Me in Kimbundu and then English uh, whenever she spoke. And they said she had a thin, reedy voice. It wasn't a great voice, but <laughs> she could sing on key and it worked. And she's older by this time. So... Imagine Susan coming back to the States, right? When she left, there were no cars. And um, they said that, you know, here she's done all these incredible, um, all these incredible things in Keswa and, you know, seen lepers and lions yeah. and, you know, elephants and all sorts of, you know, snakes and, you know, saved her garden from porcupines and monkeys and, you know, dealt with poisonous bugs. But, 
they said that she was pretty intimidated by a car. <laughs> you know, and you know the motorways wow. and all this. Yeah. So <clears throat> she was driven. <clears throat> and it probably seemed to her that this it's just going so fast. Slow mm-hmm. down, slow down. So she didn't mind the trains. Right. Or when she's first taken to Africa on a hammock that's carried between poles mm-hmm. and now vehicles. Wow. Yes. Uh, she never learned to drive a car, but there were lots of friends who always volunteered um, to drive her to all her speaking engagements. You can imagine. I mean, she was, they said she was in demand. Like everyone oh, sure. wanted to drive her. Like, yes. all will take you. And all these churches, not just the Methodist Episcopal Church, but she was so engaging as a speaker that she had luncheons and, you know, all these places at 69 and then into her 70s. Uh, well, I'm sure her passion just came through and her ability to describe with such vivid imagery of mm-hmm. what she was going through. But just also in that time, Africa was, might as well be another planet. Yeah, it was unknown. So right? far away and, remote. and so um, outside of what was familiar to anyone to, to see someone that actually saw it as their home. Mm-hmm. What is there? I just think of how that, with that kind of passion, how it motivates others, younger women, to say, if Susan can do that, what is God calling me to do? Or how mm-hmm. how can I help as she is? And they said that she would also regale them with the stories of these young girls, their testimonies, oh, and yes. what took so place, and you know how they accepted Jesus, and, and what they were doing. Yes. Um, she moved back to Lafayette in 1922 in Iowa, and she was a faithful member of the Lafayette Methodist Episcopalian Church. She was also their only black member, and she yeah. was incredibly loved, absolutely oh. adored. In fact, she's kind of the star of the church, and she always sat towards the back, and they were always trying to get her to sit in the front. <laughs> and she said, oh, no, I like to watch everybody mm-hmm. and pray for everybody. She was often seen walking to church dressed with her hat and gloves. She preferred walking to church, but when the snow and the ice hit, she would accept a ride. They said that she walked every single day when the weather permitted, and she liked to talk to all her neighbors, and she liked to ask them about their gardens and what was going on. She was very, very interested in the lives of everyone in her community, Mm -hmm. even you know, after she retired from the mission field in 1933, um, and now she's 85, her health began to fail. She moved to a farm outside of Lafayette with family, with a family named the Grams that she had been close to. Mm. And they kept her for the next uh, few years um, until she died. And she died at 88, but she was just seven weeks shy of her 89th birthday. Before her death, though, the church had decided to throw a huge celebration of her life. Don't you think that's incredible? Oh, yes. And so um, when she was 87 years old, they had brought her in, and they had just, you know, a huge party, so to speak, with cake and, you know, food, and all the people came out, and that's when they made the star out of glass and aluminum. Oh. And... They said that the star reflected who she was and all the light that she'd brought to others and her willingness to shine wherever the Lord put her. 
Her testimony was then, you know, written out and placed in the church. Unfortunately, the church burned down. And uh, much of her correspondence and Mm. the star um, Mm. were destroyed when the church was um, burned down. Um, The author who wrote the book with the Hallelujah Heart had been a member of that church. And that's when she'd seen the star. This was long after um, Susan had died. She saw the star um, in like the 60s and asked her mother about it. And then there was still a record and she was able to read it, but as a young girl. So the rest she had to glean from correspondence. She went to the Iowa uh, college where mm-hmm. she graduated. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was checking records every place. So if the church burned and the star was just then saved from that and then put on the new church? Nope. Or? Nope. No, the church died in the 60s, the yes. late 60s. Oh, so that's so when she thought kept it was, up. Mm-hmm. the star was still on the original church before it burned. Mm-hmm. Before it burned And down. with that fire went a lot of those letters and mm-hmm. documents and things. So she died, the, especially the letters to the pain. She died mm-hmm. in um, 1940. So the star remained there for the next 20-something years. You know, so the author was able to see it. Um, Susan's favorite songs, favorite songs were Rock of Ages and mm. Jesus, Lover of My Soul. <laughs> you can just kind of picture her oh, yeah. in in yeah. Kazwa when things got rough, just kind of humming to herself, you know, Rock of Ages, cleft mm-hmm. for me. Let me hide myself in, in the or Jesus, Lover of My yes. Soul. You know, just reminding herself who she was in Christ. But you know, to me, I think it's so important. She knew who she was in Christ. She didn't mm-hmm. judge herself by the culture she came in or even by the disappointments mm. or, you know, setbacks in her life. She, she, her estimation, her self-estimation was, who am I to Jesus? And I think when you have an attitude of, who am I to Jesus, then you can you can minister to others so much more effectively because you can say to them, this is who you are to Jesus. Yeah. You're so important to Jesus. You're so loved. And you can communicate that, you know, as I was saying earlier, she loved um, intensely each one of the girls mm-hmm. put in her care as if they were her own daughter. She never had children. She never married. But such a representative, such mm-hmm. an ambassador of the kingdom of God, even, as you said, by the way that she dressed, mm-hmm. always so nicely dressed and a hat and just that sense of maybe style or or respect for herself. And yet she was so selfless yes. and so giving yes. And, yes. And, and had no problem of being among the lowly when they needed nursing because no. they were dying. Right. But yet her identity in Christ was so strong mm-hmm. and that was represented in how she presented herself. I think of all the sacrifices she made too, you know, like we talked about, like she made the sacrifice of um, selling her business, made the sacrifice of leaving what was comfort, the her family and mm-hmm. what was known, um, going to um, Africa, but she also left the comfort of a salary, of, you know, medical insurance, of that security. Um, she left that comfort and and then after serving 13 years knowing exactly what she was in for she wanted to go back in her 50s mm-hmm. and continue to serve mm-hmm. i mean i just uh found her to be uh so intensely inspiring i mean i love stories like this because then you start going 
I am such a self-centered person. (laughs) I'm telling Brian, I really am craving a hamburger for dinner. And he's like, but we have food here. I'm like, I know, but I'm (laughs) craving a hamburger. And that was last night. And I had just been working on this for, you know, uh, this particular one took me... um, it took me at least eight hours to prepare, oh, believe it I or not. Imagine. I'm so glad you put that time in and you brought her to us because there's such a great balance there of her, just like we were saying, the the selflessness, but yet the dignity. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's part of the, the takeaway yes. in this of when we have that confidence in Christ and we have that sense of our identity in him, as you're saying, then it it comes through. Right. And how often do you ever hear anybody talking about that? We just no. don't see no. that or see living examples of someone who you look at them and you go, oh, you're radiant. And right. That's not you because you just got a facial. That's because you love the Lord and it's just leaking out all over the place. It well, sounds like an, that's what she was. Yes. And she's an overcomer. Yeah. I mean, like we talked before, when adversity hit her, she just found a way through it. it. She's in Haran. She can't get the you know job, so she opens a laundry uh, you know service yeah. and starts her own business and buys a house. Mm-hmm. She sells those to go to uh, college. She does correspondence school. Uh, she's willing to be a standout. You know, mm-hmm. she's going in an all white world. Going, hey, I'm left. You know, yeah. And the Lord gave her favor and. I, I think she's such a good example of Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for the good Absolutely. of them that love the Lord. She took Absolutely. even the setbacks and made them into something beautiful. Even the setbacks. And I I love her for that. She was one of the things that kept coming across in the book with a hallelujah heart is how deeply she was cherished and loved by the church, by her friends, by uh, the missionary society, um, by her co-workers. Um, You know, um, she was just amazing. I forgot to mention that her precious co-worker, Martha Drummer, died in her 40s Mm. in Africa. That fever took just about everyone down. She was one of the few people to actually return turn mm. from the mission field and actually, you know, reach the age of retirement, but even surpass it and then live to 88. Yeah. Unlike even her father or her her mother well, her or father her siblings. Lived pretty long, but he, her mom. To, to his 80s, yeah. but she even surpassed she him. She did. Oh, wow. And so, well, actually, we're guessing at her father's age. She didn't mm. have a birth certificate. He would claim uh, to be. So it kind of depended on what day you asked him how old he was. But by some of the experiences, his family kind of guessed his age at what it was. But Susan exemplified freedom in Christ. She definitely did. And just a persevering godly woman. And that's why I think everyone should know the name Susan Angeline Collins. And I wish we had a star. I mean, I wish we had a star for each of the women that we featured you know, because it's such a, a great concept that these women have shined, mm. you know, shown. These women have shown for Jesus and for the gospel. And what great, what great um, beacons they have become to us. So. Love it, Cheryl. Thank you. You're welcome. That was Susan Angeline Collins. We took three episodes just to highlight. We needed three for her. her. We did. So until next week and until uh We have a whole list of women that we can't wait 
to bring to you. So until next week, this is Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn saying thank you for joining us so much. And we hope and pray you love these women as much as we've come to love them. Amen. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Robin on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WWK at CCCM.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn.